Well, today we're finishing our series on emotionally healthy spirituality, and our last message on this topic is uh, going on to develop a rule of life. And I wonder how you feel about that. I wonder how you feel about this whole concept called rule. Um, I grew up uh, in a pastor's home. I am a PK. My dad was a pastor. Pastor's kids. Any other pastor's kids in the room? Yeah. Woo. Uh, we have a support group that meets late Sunday night. <laughs> um, my mom was here uh, this last number of weeks, and she was, uh, we were debriefing what it was like to grow up in her household. And, and for whatever reason, if I was ever going to get punished, it was going to be after church because I'd misbehave in church. And we'd go home from church, and I would, I would usually be called into my dad's study for some kind of reprimand. Uh, that's code word for spanking. Um, we used to get spanked in those days. And, and pastor's kids, not all of them, not all of them, but many of them tend to have this pressure put upon them to be good because of who they're related to. There's this expectation that they're going to know their Bibles, that they're going to be better than the average kid. And so people are surprised when pastor's kids often end up being real disturbed individuals. <laughs> Actually, I, rebels, I was going to say. And uh, when I was growing up, one of the worst things you could call me was a rule keeper. I didn't want to be known as a rule keeper. I wanted to kind of fight against that image of being the really, really good PK, pastor's kid. And so I didn't like the whole idea of rules growing up. Maybe you didn't either. Uh, in fact, I don't think it's that uncommon. Uh, many years ago, Catherine Hepburn, the, the famous actress, said this. She says, if you, be, you obey all the rules, you miss all the fun. That's a common conception out there, right? Uh, more recently, Rihanna in a song, Run This Town, saying, she says, life's a game, but it's not fair. I break the rules, so I don't care. So I keep doing my own thing, walking tall against the rain. And so there can be this idea that, that rules just spoil all our fun. And, and then there's Cy Robinson's wisdom on the topic. I live by my own rules, reviewed, revised, and approved by my wife, but still my own. <laughs> Uh, but rules, we love them, don't we? we most, many of us probably have a, a bit of a love-hate relationship with rules. Now, now, as Christians, we know at some level that Christianity is not about rules. And I want to say about what we're not talking about when we're talking about rules this morning before we go into this idea of developing a rule of life. But there's some phrases in the New Testament that many of you would be familiar with, all from the Apostle Paul in, to, to different churches in the early church, to the church in, in Galatia, the, who are were getting bound up in all kinds of legalism and all kinds of rules, especially rules that, that had to do with them being Jews. It, it, it's, he said, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And then to the church in Colossae, since you died with Christ, why as though you still belong to the root world, do you submit to its rules? And then to the church in Rome, you are not under law, you are under grace. And, and uh, we've just been celebrating the Lord's Supper this morning and, and remembering that Jesus took upon himself the punishment and the curse. And there's actually all kinds of New Testament metaphors for, for, for this. And, but he took upon himself the fact that we haven't kept the rules and that we cannot keep the rules. Now, when you were dead in your sin, Paul said, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code and its regulations. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. That's what we've just been remembering and, and celebrating and, and, and sharing. Those rules are gone. 
that, that need to, to keep rules in order to be acceptable to God, that's been torn up in Christ. It's been nailed to the cross in Christ. It's as if Paul's saying, you know, read my lips. You don't need to keep the rules any longer. There's nothing I can do that can, can make God love me more. There, there's no rules I can keep that'll get me closer to God or, or make me acceptable to God. So we're not talking about those kind of rules, the kind you need to keep to make yourself okay with God. We know that, don't we? We're, we're Christians. But, but at some level, I think all of us don't quite get that, and, and certainly the world doesn't know that out there. It, it thinks of Christianity as something to do with, with rules and, and regulations. So it matters that we have this at the the core of, of who we are, that this is a, a core piece of our identity, that it is not rules that get us to God. So what are we talking about when we talk about having a rule for your life, this rule of life that you try to keep? Um, how many of you like to garden vegetables and fruits? Anybody garden beans this last summer? Wow, there's a few. Not very many. Uh, bean growing is, is becoming a lost art, I think. There was a day when everyone would be having beans and peas and things in their gardens. Well, I haven't either. We, don't, we didn't grow any vegetables, so I can't complain. But my old neighbor uh, that we used to live across from was a prolific gardener. He's Portuguese. It seems like that's in their blood. And he had uh, every scratch of ground uh, laden with, with garden. And he was a bean gardener. And he'd often come over at the end of... Uh, the season and hand us a big bag of beans. But uh, if you're growing beans, uh, what he would call string beans or, or runner beans, what do you need? You need some kind of frame or support or trellis in order to, to kind of guide their growth. Um, if, if you don't do that, they wouldn't grow. It'd be a mess. They'd flop over. In fact, they'd, they'd probably rot and die on the ground. It'd be, it'd be awful, and there certainly wouldn't be much fruit. There wouldn't be many beans. And that's the kind, of, the kind of rule we're talking about is not the kind of rule that you keep to try and, and satisfy God like some list of do's and don'ts. Rather, it's a framework for your life. It's something to help you grow in a healthy fashion. You see, once we've uh, become a Christian, once we've accepted that Jesus died for us so that we no longer keep the rules, in us the Spirit of God is working and he produces in us a natural desire to want to grow our faith to start displaying the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And the kind of rule we're talking about this morning is a kind of framework for our life, a, a pattern that we can follow that can support us, grow us up and flourish, maturing us in our relationship with God. Something that stops us from going off in the wrong direction or even keeling over or just flopping down. So before we think about what this means this morning, let's, let's pause and let's pray and invite God to speak to us today. Lord, thank you. We have celebrated this this beautiful act this morning, the, the cross and resurrection of Christ, his death on our behalf. And uh, that means that uh, we no longer have to keep the rules to satisfy you, to, to come to you. And God, we want to pray this morning that we might learn what it's like to have a rule, a structure, an appropriate guide to our lives so that we might flourish and we might live and prosper as you've called us to. Come and meet with us today, we pray, by your Spirit. Lead us and speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to look at our passage. It's a famous passage. It's found in Acts chapter 2. 
And it starts at verse 42. We've, we've looked at this many times in the past. Let's look at it again. It says in Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. May God bless the reading of his word. The first verse we come to in this famous text is, is the, and the context of this is, is Acts 2. What, what happened in Acts 2? Pentecost. The, the Holy Spirit came on, on the church and 3,000 people were converted. 3,000 people put their faith in Jesus Christ in, in Jerusalem. And immediately after, it's the very next verse after we're told that 3,000 are saved, it says this. It transitions right to this verse. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Thousands of people were saved, but that wasn't the end of the story. A lot of the New Testament is taken up with, with what happens next and what should happen next in our Christian life once we've come to realize that Jesus Christ is Lord. And here, here we have in this verse a summary of what the, the early church felt were the, the crucial aspects of what it meant to be formed as a Christian. And, and traditionally through the ages, these have been accepted as kind of a, a basic framework for the Christian life. In fact, a kind of a basic framework for what we call the church. So the, the Spirit of God comes on them at, at Pentecost. And uh, let's, let's be honest, spirituality is a term that gets tossed around a lot these days in our culture. And if you were to type in uh, spirituality into your Google search images, you would find it come up with like pictures of, of still waters and uh, people with their hands raised in the air, people doing yoga, and, and of course, lotus flowers and things like that. But, but that's not the picture that we, we get of, of spirituality from the Bible. The Bible's kind of spirituality is what we read about in Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and, and to fellowship, to the, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty clear in that passage what they're about. It's, it's not rocket science. It's, it's, it's the apostles' teaching, which means for us the, the New Testament and, and the Bible. It's, it's fellowship. It's uh, breaking the bread and drinking the cup, which we've been doing this morning. It's praying. We've been doing all these things this morning. Tom Wright, or N.T. Wright as he's often known, the, the New Testament clar theologian clarifies how important these four practices are to, to Christians. He puts it this way. He says, when no attention is given to teaching and to constant lifelong Christian learning, people, people quickly revert to the worldview or mindset of the surrounding culture, and they end up with their minds shaped by whichever social pressures are most persuasive with Jesus around somehow as a pale influence or memory. The point of preaching and teaching and learning scripture is to stop that happening. He goes on to say, he says, when, when people ignore the common life of the, the Christian family, what we commonly call fellowship, they become isolated and find it difficult to sustain a living faith. That's why as a church, we are a community. We're a fellowship. We're a family together. When people no longer share regularly in the breaking of bread, they're failing to raise the flag that says Jesus 
and his death and resurrection are the center of everything. And, and that's really this morning what we were doing with, what we were saying with this act, with this Lord's Supper, is we were planting a flag and saying, this is, this is one of the most significant things. This is the most significant things about us and our faith. About prayer, he says, and whenever people do all these things but neglect prayer, they are for, forgetting quite simply that Christians are both heaven and earth people, that those two things are joined together. He concludes with this thought. He says, those of us who grew up in Christian families with, with going to church as a habit of life from our earliest days might think of this as quite humdrum and ordinary. But he says, imagine a world without all of these things, without astonishing teaching, without a common life built around Jesus, without breaking of bread, without prayer, life would be bleak. He's reminding us that this is a, a basic framework of the Christian life. This is basic Christianity. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Now, we may all agree on this at, at one level, but, but we need to remind ourselves because we are often tempted to give up on these things. When we're tempted to think, I, I, I don't need to meet with God's people. I can be a Christian all by myself. Or when, I, when I'm tempted to think it doesn't really matter if I'm not talking to God. When it, when it doesn't really matter if I'm not sharing the, the bread and the cup. These things matter, and, and we won't grow up otherwise. And, and if you go on to read in the verses that are immediately following that we read earlier, it, it's quite astonishing the things that went on to happen as a result of this pattern in the life of the church. I mean, listen to what, let, let's, let's read it again. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and I, I love this. They ate together. I, I love food. They ate together and with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying all the favor of the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's a pretty awesome picture of what happened in the early church, this explosion of life, and it all came from these simple practices. And when we follow some some simple structures or patterns or rules in our life, we don't become more religious. But what we do is we open ourselves up to the mighty work of God in our lives, in us and through us and in our world. And people start being in awe of what God is up to. That's a little taste of what we felt last night when, when we raised all that money for, for a place we don't even know of or most of us will never have gone. It's, a, it's that kind of awe as God moves in our lives and works through us. And this is what we're talking about when we're, when we're talking about rules. Now, I want to ask you a question this morning, and I, I think this is a question that you could think about both in the moments that we have together this morning, but I, I hope this is a question that you will maybe carry with you and maybe uh, wrestle with, and, and I think it's the kind of question you could keep on asking yourself for the rest of your life. And the question is simply this. What are you and God working together on at the moment? What are you and God working together on at the moment? Something specific to you, or, or it might be something specific to Hillside Community Church. What are you and God collaborating on? Uh, to help us answer that question, uh, Peter Scazzaro, in his chapter on, on developing a role of life, he offers 12 areas, 12 ways in which we can grow and we can hear God and which we can be strengthened in our faith. And as 
as we kind of honestly assess our lives or examine our lives, we might go, wow, I have deficiencies in all 12 of these areas. Uh, I think the point is, I think the challenge is to focus on, on just one or two areas that God might be identifying or stirring in your life. Somebody uh, emailed me this week about the refugee issue and said, uh, can you tell me if other people are experiencing this stirring with regards to this issue of refugees? And, and what I'm asking is not to get overwhelmed by the options of, of self-improvement, but what one or two areas might God want to be working on with you in, in your particular life or drawing to your attention right at this moment? Scazzaro says this in his book. He says, a rule of life is a set of conscious guidelines to help keep God at the center of all that we do. It is our unique set of spiritual practices. You catch, catch that? It's unique. It's, it's crafted for you. Uh, that are, that are a structure and a direction for our growth in Christ. A rule of life is a pattern of daily actions that we choose to help us intentionally pay attention and remember God in everything that we do. What he's saying is we take this list and we kind of just focus on that one or two things that we might uh, add to our life. It might be something that we're not naturally very enthusiastic about, something we're not really that drawn to. But it could be that, that God wants to work in that area of your life because he wants to bring balance. He wants to bring growth and direction to you so that you're not unbalanced. You're not kind of flopping over because you're only focusing on, on your little hobby horse over here. He wants to bring that, that wholeness to your life and, and, and grow that. So what I'm going to do this morning is kind of ambitious, and we're going to do this just briefly, very briefly this morning. We're going to look, run through all 12 of these just to, to, get a, to whet your appetite and see what God might be highlighting for you. And, and all the time, I want you to be asking that question, what are you and God working on together at the moment? What's God saying to you? How do you need a bit more guidance, a bit more of a rule in your relationship with God? We'll start with Scripture. That's a very good place to start. Um, how's your, your Bible reading? How's your devotional Bible reading? I know some people just, they really struggle with this. I know some people actually really struggle with reading, period, you know, and I want to say, if that's your struggle, there's, there's a lot of great helps out there on the internet, and you can get CDs of the Bible. Um, my, my phone app, uh, Version Bible, there's other Bible versions that will read the Bible to you, and you, you can actually have the Bible read to you as you're driving to your workplace every day or to your classroom. You could, you could listen to the Bible as you're preparing for your breakfast in the morning. I know uh, a, a pastor friend of mine that has done that for his, his kids. He just, as the kids are getting breakfast in the morning, he has the Bible on CD, and he plays the Bible for them for 15 minutes every morning. It's just kind of in the backdrop, and they're hearing the Word in the morning as they do that as a family. So that's Scripture. Are we, are we challenging ourselves in that area? God speaks to us in and, and through His Word. And you may decide at a season in your life to read the whole Bible through from cover to cover, and uh, I, I've done that. I've done it in one-year plans. I've done it in two-year plans. I've done it in three-year plans. And let me say this, it's really hard to do. It's really hard to, to, to get through the whole Bible, but let me say from my, my own experience, it was beneficial. It would be a very good thing. Maybe in another season of your life, it's, it's called digging down into one particular passage of Scripture, um, rereading it several times, and, and let, letting God speak to you to the words that you see there. It's just a few verses, or maybe even just one verse that you're kind of focusing and you're, you're meditating on and and, and, and uh, thinking about. Again, can I remind you what I've already said? It's not about the rules. It's not about a, imposing a burden on ourselves, and if we miss a day, we feel guilty. 
This is about saying to ourselves, how can I grow? How can I design a trellis to support my life and to keep on track? Silence and solitude. That's another one. Uh, many of us are just so uh, overstimulated by, by work and by emails and noise and the internet and everything else. Um, here's a thought. Try turning it off. Try turning off your smartphone. Have you ever, I'm not talking about just sliding it, you know, so it's on silent. I'm talking about actually turning the device absolutely off, powering it down. Uh, you might go through withdrawals. I see some teenagers back there just kind of shaking at the very thought of this. And, and turning the tablet off so that you have this quiet space with which to hear God. Our, our technology just seems to overwhelm us in these days, and we have noise coming at us all the time. But are you being intentional about having time for silence and solitude? I know in this series that there's a number of individuals have said that's been the, the biggest message for them is that they need to craft time in their lives for silence and solitude. Might mean going out in your workplace at your lunchtime, in your coffee breaks, and uh, <clears throat> people are taking fewer and fewer smoke breaks, thankfully. Take a God break and go and, and just be outside and be in the quiet, sit on a park bench. <clears throat> The daily office, uh, we covered this a few weeks ago, creating a daily rhythm to our lives, incorporating kind of connection with God, maybe through morning and midday and afternoon or evening prayer. And you can do this anytime in any way. Uh, it, it, there's no r rule to this. Um, you can start by reciting the Lord's Prayer throughout your day uh, or, or reciting it while you're in the shower. Most of us know the Lord's Prayer. That's kind of a simple framework for prayer and for connecting with God right there. Um, I know people who strategically use their commuting time. The, their time, it's kind of a morning and evening, is, is when they're on their way to, to a place on a daily basis. They've already got a rhythm in place. They're just adding to that rhythm some practice of God's presence during that time. So that's the daily office. Study. Schizero says study is not just for information. It's for the purpose of formation in Christ. Uh, we don't study to learn lots about the Bible or become uh, whizzes at Bible trivia or so forth or to impress others with our Bible knowledge. We study to grow closer to God. Years ago, I was uh, influenced by uh, a guy who just when I met him, I knew this guy had been with Jesus. He was that kind of fellow who I could uh, just sense, thank you, so kind of you. Fellow like Wally, right there, godly man. Um, and uh, I, I sensed that he had a rhythm to his life, and I asked him about it. And one of the things this fellow did was every Saturday afternoon, some of you have hectic Saturdays, but some of you have quiet Saturdays where you're trying to fill it with things, meaningful things to do. He would take three hours on a Saturday afternoon, and he'd grab uh, his Bible, and he would grab a concordance and uh, commentary and he would sit down and study a passage of scripture in depth. And he'd read all that the commentary had to say about it. He'd study the words that were in there and so forth. And this, this ended up being a practice for this fellow that grounded him in his faith and, and, and drew him deeper. And you could sense when I, was, uh, when I was with this guy, this is a guy who loved God. So have you ever challenged yourself to study scripture in order to grow closer to God? And there's the Sabbath. This is the challenge to take a 24-hour period of rest every seven days. Uh, Sabbath-keeping, Sabbath, the, the Sabbath commandment in the Old Testament was the longest of any of the commandments. 
It went on to detail how we're to take one of seven days and to rest from our labors, that we are given permission to live a day that's different than any other day, a day set apart unto the Lord, a day that, that can in, in, involve recreation and delight and, and celebration and connection with God and, and, and in most part, acknowledging that God is there. So Sabbath is, is, is a great thing. It's a reminder to me that um, God cares that we don't behave like machines, that we're like human beings, and we have permission to stop and to rest. And so I, I, I want to ask you, how do we do that? How do we practice Sabbath as individuals? How do we practice Sabbath as families? How are, are we leading our kids in practicing Sabbath? Are we encouraging them to take breaks and, and to, to live this as well? Simplicity. Most of us simply have too much stuff. Um, there, are, there are people in the world that don't have too much stuff. And most of you aren't them, I suspect. It's just a hunch. Because year after year, we do a humongous garage sale, and year after year, we fill this place to the rafters with your stuff. So we have a bit of an issue. And, and we have too many belongings for the most part, but also we have other kinds of stuff that kind of mount up, that, like responsibilities, uh, like debt. Uh, many of us have too many contacts, contacts or Facebook friends, actually. More than we, we know what to do with. Um, last week, uh, a, a friend of mine, who I'm a Facebook friend, we were, went to middle school together. I barely remember this person's existence until he got in touch with me as a Facebook friend a couple of years ago. And, and so now we're friends on Facebook. I hardly know the guy. I, I haven't seen him in 30 years. And he's dialing, how's it going, Derwin? You know, and we're, I, I, I'm, I'm taking like 10 minutes of my day kind of dialoguing back, back and forth. My reflection afterward is how profitable is me in, the, in, in light of my limited time. My wife would say, I could have used that 10 minutes, Derwin, um, that I'm spending that with that particular contact or that friend. And so actually in the last week, I've, I've deleted some of you as my friends on Facebook. <laughs> Feel so much lighter. <laughs> Whew! Um, we, start, we, we spend, when we have lots and lots of stuff or contacts or any of these things, uh, we find we spend time maintaining and, and, and taking care of those things. And so simplicity is a good principle. If you don't need it, if, if it's not doing you any good spiritually, why not see if you can live without it? Again, remember what I said about this not, not being about rules. This is not about imposing a burden on yourselves. If, if Facebook's friends are really what lights up your life, and it brings you life and is kind of a joy for you, then, then, then great. But if it is getting in the way of, of your time and your relationship with God, think about it. And then remember, of course, Acts 2, where they just were really, really good about getting rid of giving away their stuff. It's a beautiful picture. They traveled light. Next is play. Some of, some of you are really good at this. You're good at play. Some of you really struggle with this particular topic of play. I, I know somebody who was confessing to me regularly that this is kind of an issue for them, they actually are not able to give themselves permission to relax. They feel like they've got to be on all the time. So they're on all the time when they're at work. And when they get home, they, they don't feel like they've ever got permission to stop. There's always that list that needs to be ticked off. I, now, I think of myself as being someone who's actually pretty accomplished at play. I... I 
I mean, generally, I, I enjoy life, and I en enjoy fun, and I enjoy those kind of moments with my family. But you know what I found? Even with me, where this is kind of a natural bent, where I dream about holidays and vacations, I still have to be very intentional, and I have to plan it. And if for you, this is something where it's not natural, you're going to have to be really strict with yourself. You're going to have to trick yourself in some ways. I mean, you're going to have to, to, to say, say to yourself, self, I am going to relax this afternoon. You're going to have to tell yourself and give yourself lectures about play. And, 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 and you need to do this again as families. You need to do this as couples. Um, I, I, I know many couples, some of which are in this church, who have forgotten that that's part of what being married is like, is that it involves play, involves joy together, enjoying one another. And uh, so I challenge you in that area to consider that as, as one of the ones that God may be putting his finger upon. Service and mission. How can I, I use my time, my talents, and my gifts to serve others? Not through guilt, not with the feelings like I have to do this, but to serve God and to, uh, grow closer to him by by seeing a need, and, and I might think I'm, I'm not really the person for that, but actually God's calling me to, to step out in that so that I might trust God more. And so service and mission, we're all called to that. Our physical bodies. Um, now, many, of us, many people in our culture worry a little bit too much about their physical bodies. They have these things now, the Fitbits and, and these uh, bands that measure your steps. I got a friend who is kind of overwrought and obsessed with how many steps they're, they're walking every single day, and it started with them reaching 10,000. Now they're wanting to hit 15,000 every day. And it's like, it's the thing. Their rhythm is all about how many steps they're walking throughout their day. That's the primary thing on their brain. I, I don't know if that's exactly balanced. But then some of us go the other extreme. We don't listen to our bodies enough. And we don't treat them like temples of the, the Holy Spirit. And so we put stuff in them that aren't good. Or on the other hand, we get obsessed with them. And neither of which are honoring to God. Emotional health. Uh, our whole eight-week series has been partly about emotional health. And what I, what I challenge you is, is with what are you actually going to do as a result of this series? Is there, is there one thing? Is there one or, or two things in the next few weeks that you're actually going to seek to do differently? What might it be for you? Family. Uh, those of you who live in a family context, how... Could you do any of what we've talked about this morning as a family? How could you practice that as a family and, and create a trellis and a support network for your family? For example, how do we help our children come to understand that, that achievement and education and, and sport is not the most important thing when, when they're getting that message all the time from outside? There's no question education, it, it can be really very good, and achievement and, and sport can be excellent, but if they're getting the message like that from the outside, and then they also get the message from us that somehow it's okay to put God on hold for a bit in order to succeed in school or to achieve or, or do well in sport or whatever. How is that helping them in the long run? If we don't live in those sorts of, of families, how could we live this out in our, our close relationships? Or how could we help another family in a, in a practical way, you know, by, by babysitting or by praying for them? How could we mentor somebody? And finally, community. Remember Acts 2, those verses we looked at earlier. Uh, they said of the early church, see how they loved one another. And uh, part of what grew the early church in the first 300 years of the church before Constantine was that they went through incredible suffering and persecution. 
And if you read many, many passages um, of, of the New Testament, it says a lot about don't give up on your faith because of, what, of, because of the painful trial you are going through. And they went through painful trials. But you know what happened in the early church was those, those difficulties actually drew them together. And, and, and here today, it, we live fairly, a fairly comfortable existence as North American Christians. We, we have a, a fairly, a life that's, that's relatively freed from persecution and that type of suffering. But, but maybe we need to think about how we draw together as a community when there's all kinds of other pressures that we are facing. Well, those are the, the 12 things. We went through that in a whirlwind, but hopefully one or two stuck out with you. Um, maybe something you could add to your rule of life, to your trellis, to, to help you grow, grow closer to God. But and I'd encourage you to keep pondering this question. What are you working on with God at the moment? What is God saying to you? How does he want to be at work in your life? Scazzaro in his book talks about Daniel in, in the Old Testament. We looked at, at him in, a few weeks ago, and Daniel did two things that that potentially got him into a lot of trouble. He uh, refrained fr from eating a certain type of food, and he insisted on praying three types a, a day, three times a day, and he got into a lot of trouble for that. And I, and I wonder, uh, you think about your friends and your family, and I wonder what maybe two significant practices, one or two practices in your life that you might practice that might actually get you into, into a little bit of trouble with your culture around you, like Daniel. These were so important to him that it, in spite of all kinds of pressure not to do them, he stuck, stayed loyal to God, and God honored him in those practices. And so I want to ask you again, what are those one or two significant things you might do differently in your life that would draw you closer to God? In a moment, we're going to pray, but I want to just give you a, a, a few moments here to ponder and to, to think about that question. What is that one or two thing? Remember what I said, this is not about rules, doing stuff in order to uh, satisfy God or to, or to impress God by us or, or, or that people around us would be impressed by us, but this is so that we can grow in a relationship with God. So let's just take a few moments of quiet, and while we're doing that, worship team, if you'd come forward.